Remakers, Lily here, and it seems like a different lifetime in a different country ago that we last spoke. The Australian federal election has happened, and while some of the results are still coming through, uh, they are largely known, and it is pretty epic and pretty transformative, and so Millie and I are having a big exhale, download, debrief about kind of what this means and how we're feeling and, and kind of where to from here. So if you feel like you no longer have to spin hope out of thin air, if you actually still feel a bit cynical or numb or just unsure, all of that is completely normal and we kind of cover all of that today, as well as some thoughts about what this means and how this is not the final destination of action on all of the things that we care about. It is a new door opening. So I am so thrilled that you were here. Would love to hear your thoughts and input. As always, here's my conversation with Millie. And welcome to our conversation today. I am back with Dr. Millie Rooney for a very exciting post-election debrief and download and a sense of where to from here and what are we excited about. Uh, we hope that, I mean, gosh, we hope this conversation, uh, I know a lot of us are probably feeling a little bit exhausted by it. The election and electoral politics. So if you're hearing this and being like, I don't know if I'm up for listening to this one, um, I kind of get that. But at the same time, like I know a lot of us are going, oh my goodness, this happened. Like this happened. We didn't know if change was going to happen and it happened. So we couldn't not talk about it. So Millie, how are you? How are you feeling? How what What has been your experience of this week waking up to kind of what has been called a new dawn in Australian politics? Well, I don't know where you start, Lily. I don't know about you, but I think I've gone through lots of different sort of reactions and emotions. And, you know, it's we're recording this now on a Thursday after the election, so we've had a few days to think about it. And um, I'm start, finally starting to feel something. I think that's been the fascinating thing is on the one hand, like, I'm just so thrilled about uh, what the results mean for democracy just in terms of how people got engaged um, how, yeah, how people have engaged with our democracy and, and really connected with their ability to contribute. Like that is super exciting to me. Um, I have to admit that after the results, I felt really numb for a while and I've been talking to different people in our networks and, um, that's one of the reactions. And, and I wanted to share that I'd been feeling that because I think we've been holding for a very long time now, this sense of, okay, everything is really, really hard. And, you know, certainly for you and I, like our job is to talk about what's possible and what could be yeah. and spin the hope. Yeah. Spin the hope. <clears throat> and, and so when, you know, I think on Sunday morning, I just had this feeling of like, I don't, I don't have to kind of spin the hope. I don't have to hold, there are real tangible elements of hope that have just happened like I can go off duty. <laughs> so I think I'll just, you know. Put down your pom-poms or maybe yeah, I put down my, have a cup of tea. Yeah, I put down my pom-poms and I wrote some probably crappy poetry about eating cold leftovers on the dirty kitchen floor and just, you know, it took me a while to realise that my numb reaction was actually a legit 
reaction. It wasn't that I wasn't hopeful or that I was feeling cynical, but that actually for everyone who had worked really hard in different ways um, over the last nine years, really. Um, Yeah, so that was an interesting reaction for me. And, you know, I'd love if other listeners wanted to write in and give us their reactions, um, because I think that's, you know, we all do, we all play different roles. Um, And then, you know, we'll talk about this a bit later, I think, but it's been so exciting for me to start to connect with, you know, some of the campaigners behind the independence movement, behind some of the grassroots sort of green stuff, and just hear how thrilled they are and how how extraordinary it is to feel you have power in a democracy. So I think that's, you know, that's been my thing, like slightly exhausted um, and, yeah, like quite excited about what's now possible. Um, but I know you've had different reactions. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, I think I also had a sort of self-protection mechanism. I've, I've been involved in election campaigns, both up close and from afar for different parties and different contexts. And, you know, I know what that exhaustion is and that excitement of running on adrenaline of like rolling up your sleeves and being in the pit, you know, being there with everybody just working at it and the elation that you can feel when it goes your way. Like I, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, I remember when Adam Bount first made history, for example, and took the seat of Melbourne, you know, and now he's going to be joined by at least two other colleagues in the Federal House of Representatives from Queensland, which is amazing. I've also worked Labor Party, like in the actual campaign trenches. And I missed that this time. Like I missed, I felt like I hadn't earned the right to celebrate because I hadn't actually been the person with my sleeves rolled up, making the calls, doing the things, writing the emails. Um, And I really want to like shout out and send my admiration to all the people who held down jobs. Many of them held down full-time jobs and I don't know, lived off like two minute noodles and probably waved to their kids like over their iPads while they tried to get this bigger thing to go. And I mean, then the numbers of volunteers that got really deeply involved is hard to pin down, but I've heard even just from the so-called teals alone, it's about 17,000 people got involved like never before, excuse me. So I do think that that headline of like people and organized people being stronger than organized money is just this incredible win for our democracy. Um, I was probably feeling better until yesterday uh, because yesterday the news broke about what happened in America and this massacre of the school children. And that as an American citizen living abroad is just, it's horrible and heartbreaking for the world. And I think the world looks on in America, just brokenhearted and head shaking going, how? Like, how do you let this keep happening and do nothing? Um, And I feel like in Australia, we have a particular perspective because we had Port Arthur and then did something about it under a conservative prime minister. And so, you know, I don't normally go on Facebook after events like this, um, but I needed to say something yesterday. And so I did. And like, for me, my perspective is just one to my American friends and family back home of being like, you do not have to live this way. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to be afraid to leave your house or send your kids to school. I didn't go to school in a time of bulletproof backpacks. Um, So for anyone who is maybe feeling really despairing about this, because it's a bit hard to have a cheery election, post-election win conversation with this other kind of big dark cloud and, and people grieving and, you know, 
if anyone is feeling like, well, what can we actually do? I'm not an American citizen. If you are an American citizen, like, please get onto your Congress people and, you know, do all of those things. Um, but there are groups that are doing amazing stuff and we can actually donate to those organizations from afar. So I personally have donated to Together Rising, which was started by the activist and writer Glennon Doyle. Um, and their whole thing is we, we turn heartbreak into action. And I just have a lot of respect and trust for her. And, you know, <laughs> she's like, we're just, we don't know how yet, but we are going to figure this out. And a lot of, you know, so that's where I put some money, but I'm going to post in the show notes, a few other places for people who just want to do something tangible, you know, for the grieving families and the people that are wondering, like, how, how can this keep going like that? But, um, yeah, look, that being a really kind of, shocking, um, weird thing to, you know, have happen. Um, even there, there's a glimmer of hope, you know, based on kind of, um, a very mini version of the Australian example where we did gun buybacks. They've actually, uh, Sacramento in California, which is a state I was born in, uh, apparently their police just held a gun buyback event. And, um, I'm not sure actually if it was just recent or not, I will have to double check that. And I can put a, a link to this story in show notes as well, but the, that people surrendered illegal and legal guns, no questions asked. And they exchanged them for fuel vouchers, not even money. Like people were willing to give up their guns for petrol. Um, so there is, you know, I think part of our job at Australia Remade, or one of the things we try to do is to find the green shoots and the, the things that can be amplified. And that is, you know, it's one little tiny one, but by golly, it is there. Um, I think Lily, you know, it's, it's, you know, in some ways it's funny to have this election celebration conversation and, and bring this in, but, you know, for you, it's very personal for me, it's world tragedy for you. It's got the, you know, there's connections to home. And I think that, that link of, you know, we've just had an election, which, you know, if it had gone differently, I would have been very afraid for our democracy. As it is, I'm very excited about the potential of our democracy and the potential for us as a country to work, you know, on the public good, which we've talked a lot about before, and to then witness another country where we can see very simple things they could do for the public good and yet, you know, the safety of, you know, not just children, teachers, you know, the the black community who were just out shopping, you know, only a week or so ago, you know, um, people in their houses of worship, people like yeah. it's happening everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And that there is, you know, the reason why there is one of the main reasons why there is not, you know, gun control in that way is because of this powerful gun lobby with this just huge amounts of money and access to a democracy in a way that is not fair or equal or right. And I think, you know, it's, it's a, a reminder for us of, of, of what we've got to hold on to and what we need to you know, keep amplifying and building is that robust democracy that is not bought by money and kind of corporate particular interest power. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a beautiful segue back to the main thrust of the conversation today, because we do believe, and we've said it on the show before, democracy is the key that unlocks every other issue. The world is not in the shape that it is in because people don't care or because people are selfish and greedy or unkind. It's because the democracy is not representing them appropriately. And so to see 
the seismic shift. I mean, people have called it a seismic shift. They've called it a transformative shift. These are not, in my view, hyperbolic words. And to the people that are like, oh, but all the Teals are really just like rich ex-liberals. The Teals were not the only people that made record gains, but also like these weren't people parachuted in from some central HQ as part of some coordinated, like these were people who stood up in their community. And we have written about this. We have talked about this, um, about, you know, at the last election when this really was one of the few bright spots was like, well, we got Zali Stegel instead of Tony Abbott, you know, how did they do it? Well, they modeled that off of Indi, which is not a wealthy inner city suburb full of lawyers and, you know, investment bankers. It is a rural suburb in Victoria, a rural elector rather, in Victoria, full of farmers and people who work in customer service and maybe a bit of manufacturing. So it is not just a monolith of, oh, you know, some rich people threw some money at some rich, pretty white women. And now, you know, we're all supposed to cheer. Like they have really internalized some incredible values around, you know, being your best self, um, being connected to your community. Like this has been a community led thing in these places where let's be honest, like a politician from a, the other major party probably wouldn't have ever had a chance, you know? So I think that we're not all the same and we shouldn't expect that every electorate wants to elect the person that we think they should from the party that we think they should. Like this is about people owning their communities and their democracy and I think that that's just really important. And I've I've loved that across across the independents and the different parties. You know, um, you could see in Tasmania where I'm based, Bridget Archer, Liberal up in Bass, um, you know, she was elected basically on the strength of her real commitment to her local community. She had very strong grassroots support. You know, you look at the Greens in Queensland, so much of that was because, you know, I don't think they stopped door knocking since the last election and, and ran what, you know, they were calling a social work campaign. So, you know, that again, it, it's while I'm excited about certain people getting in and not others, that process of close engagement with democracy is just such a win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we have elected now <laughs> seven new independents, um, six of which ran in previously safe liberal seats. The seventh was Fowler, where Christina Keneally lost because um, she lost to a, a local. All seven of these are women. Um, six of them are the teal, so-called running on the platform of climate action, integrity, greater respect and equality for women. I love that Helen Haynes and Zali Stegall now have safe seats. Like, I love that they're like, yep, you know, our community is behind us. Like, I just think that that proves what they have been able to deliver. And that's the whole point about elections. Elections are not the final destination. Elections are a down payment on democracy and change. They, I don't mean that in the money should buy power way, obviously, but like it is the opening up of a new door and new possibilities rather than saying, oh, okay, great. You know, now we can, now we're all supposed to just be happy because these people got elected instead of those people as if that changes anything. It's like, no, but it makes that change possible. And I think for people who are feeling skeptical or weary or cynical or discouraged, certainly for my, you know, people from the US who are looking at the midterms going, oh my goodness, like we did everything that they told us to do and we still can't get our agenda through. Now what? The message needs to be, that was the, yes, you did that. And now we need to keep going. Like, and now we need to keep going. And I do think because we're going to have a progressive crossbench instead of, you know, oh, very conservative, there's no Climber United party people there, Palmer United, um, Pauline Hansen, you will probably keep her seat, but like it's close, you know, like because it's going to be a progressive crossbench, 
I'm really hopeful that a lot of the push for that ambition for labor will come from within the party, that it won't just be the people endlessly like knocking on the doors from the outside going, please, please, please. Um, but yeah, this is the, this is the start and this is the opportunity that opens up for us. Um, there's some other things to be excited about. Millie, do you want to share any more? Yeah. I mean, I think there's been so much emphasis on the teals and the independence, but I think, yeah. you know, I love the fact that, you know, we've had this massive increase in women. I think it's something like a 30% increase in women in the House of Reps. Um, we've got a more culturally diverse, uh, you know, parliament than we have ever had before and including a whole bunch of First Nations women, which is just absolutely fantastic and kind of not hitting the news quite so much. Um, I also love that we're going to have the first um, hijab-wearing woman in parliament, which is it's just so exciting to, to be for people to be able to visually see that diversity. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that stuff is just, is really exciting and, and changes what, like you said, changes what becomes possible. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to sort of see like what happens next and where to from here. And I would hope that the very um, kind of clear-eyed, uh, real politique people within the Liberal Party who are like, well, do we pivot to the right or, you know, try to capture more of them? Or do we, you know, need to sort out our climate policies and blah, 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 and try to wing back some of our moderate voters? Like, I would just hope that they would really take note of the fact that even in the outer suburban areas where they were really trying to do the kind of, you know, there are marginal electorates where people got text messages on the day of the election that a boat was headed to Australia, you know, fear, division, how good are tradies, you know, has been how, uh, how people have sort of summed up the, the Morrison pitch to those people. They had massive swings, actually, in most of those seats as well. My seat, which is Barara, one of like the safest liberal seats in the country. We didn't have a high profile independent running. Um, we have a very moderate, very well-liked local member. And there was a swing against him to, I think it was about a 6% swing against him, uh, which went to labor. And the labor candidate, I mean, I honestly thought he was a high school graduate. Like his photos on the, on the brochures were so little. I kind of just wanted to be like, are wow, good on you for running, mate. That's amazing, you know? And, and he's not, he's like some 26-year-old guy but, and great for him for standing up. But like, you know, it, it just kind of went to show that nationwide there really was that that kind of a move. Um, yes. So, you know, yes, Labor's going to have a slim majority if they even get one. You know, they might be able to form government in their own right. Looks like they're just going to get there, but they're going to have a much kinder, well, or more progressive crossbench than the so-called red slide of 2007. Um, because yes, the Greens got their best result ever. Um, the, the independence, obviously, and then the lack of that really hard message resonating the hard right message resonating. So I sort of hope that if we do end up with Dutton as opposition leader, you know, we all have to do this major gear shift now, right? Not just the people whose business cards are changing. All of us have to do this major gear shift from kind of the sense of like, ah, <laughs> and um, how do we try to get all of these things to happen in spite of who's in power? You know, how do we work around them? to like, okay, we're not just leading the resistance, quote unquote, like we're, we're actually leading from within or from the front or from the sides or, you know, there's some difference, there's some different sense of what's happening in that. And I think one of the biggest challenges, especially in our kind of internet shock and outrage age is that every time 
you know, if if they do pivot hard right, if they do go that way and decide to just inflame the culture wars and, you know, do the whole thing, like, are we just going to let that define us? Are we just going to stand up and, and scream and shout from the rooftops every single time they say something shocking or, or offensive, which they will, and which we should call out. I'm not saying that you just let that go. But how do you sidestep it as well to keep on moving forward? Like, how do you say, especially, I'm not talking about ignoring the voters, but how do you ignore the merchants of conflict, the merchants of culture wars, the people who are on Sky News after dark and, you know, all of that kind of thing? Like, how do you not let them define the agenda? And I think one of the answers to that, and this is something that the Trump presidency showed us really clearly, is like, yeah, they'll monopolize the debate by being really good at saying really offensive things that we all then fall all over ourselves to react to. And then that's the news cycle for that 20 four hours rather than here's what we could be doing here, the light, like here's what we actually want to see happen. And so I just think it's going to be really important for us to strike that balance. And there's going to be different roles for different folks. And I'm not saying don't stand up and, and call out bullshit or bullying or horrible things, because of course we need to do that, but we can't just be the resistance. We can't just do that. So I think, Lily, you've brought us to a really interesting question that's been circulating around my networks and probably yours and many others, which is, you know, okay, the election was about a week ago, like, woohoo, arrest, crash, like, you know, all the things. Right. What now? And I think that's, you know, you've, you just pointed to one of those, you know, one of the lessons for you or one of your suggestions is don't fall into the kind of outrage and scandal trap and give oxygen to things. We, we actually just want to kind of quietly die off in the corner. Um, and the other point you made about how do we do this from a position of leadership? And I think that's a real challenge that we face. And thankfully we're an ecology, you know, it's an, it's a, it's a movement of different parts, but we are now broadly on the progressive end of things, having to both, you know, really solidly applaud what's happened, um, really, you know, take on that leadership position of like, yep, let's run with this, as well as kind of be like, and where are we going next? Where are we going next? And so, the, you know, there's there's tensions there potentially. Um, but I also think like, you know, we have this extraordinary moment where, like you were saying, thousands of volunteers are engaged. People are excited about participating we can build on that, you know, instead of instead of turning around and being like, it's not perfect, you know, we can build on that and say, we have started something that is potentially extraordinary and transformative. Like, let's keep going because doing this together is fun. And I think that's what the independence, you know, and and those community campaigns have shown of like, yeah, you they made to, it safe and fun and, and yeah, it wasn't. And you get to yeah, belong totally. and, you know, going back to our public yeah. good work, you know, people want to be able to connect with people in place. Well, you know, participatory politics like, like we have seen does that. People want to care and be cared for. You know, people feel valued for what they could do and supported and, oh, you can't be on the, on the polls for whatever reason, but you're great on the tech back end. You know, there's roles. And then contribution, like what an extraordinary feeling of having contributed to something. Um, and so I think part of where we go from here is how do we hold that? How do we hold that that sense of value in ourselves and our community and our democracy? And I've been chatting um, to some of the campaign managers behind some of the independents and you know, I'm so excited that they are asking themselves those questions. Too. I mean, they've got plans, they're not just suddenly coming cold, but 
that that is already part of how they want to work. And we've talked about this before, but Kathy McGowan and then Helen Haynes have a program where you, you know, you can volunteer if you're part of the, their electorate to go into parliament with them um, for a week. And I think they get, basically you get sent to meetings that Helen Haynes can't go to and you get to speak for yourself and for your community. And so, you know, I think you can see Indi has had this extraordinary like democratic revival, you know, over how many years now, 10 years. Um, but they've also had all of these spun-off community projects, you know, like the Totally Renewable Yak and Danda, the other kind of community things because they suddenly realise they can control this stuff and that they can have a say. So I think there's there's that real sense, which we've talked before about how do you link the local to the national? And I think there's pathways here that that say, you know, we we can't just rely on communities. We The Labor government is going to have to, you know, come out with some pretty radically awesome stuff on a bunch of things that they haven't yet sort of committed to. But there's possibility for that. And and we've got this great wave of enthusiasm that could get us there. And I, you know, I know you always say, let's not, let's not get critical before we've celebrated and before we've, yeah, before we've haven't made use of that momentum. Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to our very first um episode of season two, where it was like permission to be excited and cynicism serving the powerful and the status quo. Like they want us to switch off. They want us to be like, oh, well, that was a flash in the plan and it's not going to amount to anything. And everyone's going to disappoint us in the end. And all politicians suck. Like that narrative is deliberate and it is it benefits vested interests who want us out of democracy so that they can be the biggest voices in the room. So I think if I was one of those vested interests, I would be really freaked out right about now at just people waking up to their own possibility, their own power, like you were saying, doing it joyfully. Like this was not the image of the angry, horrible, you know, um, depressed protester that you look at and think, Jesus, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to be that person. Like these people are having fun. These people are making amazing friendships. These people are feeling connected. They're feeling cared for. They're feeling like they have a way to contribute. And I think even just asking ourselves, how do we make our democracy, like how do we actually do that at a local and a national level? Like how do we prioritize those three things? is a great kind of question to have. And I'm also really encouraged by like the prime minister's tone of, I want a more positive politics. I want to see politics change in this country and how it is done. And that is something that we can all contribute to. And that does not mean mindless rah-rah cheerleading of whoever is in power because we think they're from our team. That that is something that, you know, and I, we talked about this on one of the other episodes, like whoever your local MP is, taking the time to write to them a positive letter of, hey, you know what? I've seen that you've done this or congratulations on your recent win. You can even say, I didn't vote for you because I really care about X, Y, Z, you know, if someone got up that you didn't vote for. But I want you to know that I, you know, it's like it's building those human relationships. And I think one of the things that we don't do very well from the progressive end is invest in those relationships, treat people as people, not, and I mean this supporters, I mean this politicians, people are not just a means to your end. 
You know, it's not just something that you put in a machine, crank a wheel, and out comes the thing that you want from them. And when I was consulting years ago for um, a big, like really big, well-known um, global advocacy organization, they admitted to me that like they put all this time and energy into coming up with their language for their petition, the language for, you know, their campaigns, their whatever, but they would write the same tone of letter to a, a politician, whether whatever side of politics they were on, whatever their record on the issue, whatever. So it was always this outraged, you're not doing enough, like this just really narky kind of how dare you, because they believe that that's their role, right? To be outraged. That's their, you know, and I get it, but it's like, they even were admitting like, and I, you know, I've worked with people who work inside politics and they're like, God, some of these groups would just get so much further if they would freaking come and have a conversation with us, like come to Canberra, have a beer after work on a Thursday and treat me like a human being rather than yelling at me all the time. And so I think that that is actually something like, this is not going to suit everybody's personality, but maybe it's my kumbaya, you know, positive nature, but I want to actually believe that most of the people who are there are there for good reasons, have good intentions, and that we can actually treat each other like we all matter and like we're all doing our best and we can engage the way that we would want to be engaged with if we were in their shoes. And I think that point about people being there for good intentions, you know, sometimes also, well, mostly often people who are there have good intentions and maybe don't understand the experiences of other other people. And so that's where the community engagement is becomes essential is where there's, you know, infrastructure for democracy that brings in different experiences. And I, I think that's partly why Jackie Lambie's candidate, Tammy Tyrrell in Tasmania in the Senate, um, I'm fairly sure she's been elected. And Part of that is, you know, she had this great line, I can't remember it, but it was something about, you know, she's worked on a factory line, you know, Um, and so she knows what it's like to be on a low income in a way that so many other politicians often don't, you know, there's a mix there. Uh, and, And that's where, yeah, this community participation, whether it's independence or within the party, I think that's really important to remember is that it doesn't have to be independence for community to be engaged, you know. Oh, for sure. But you know, Lily, I know we've talked a little bit about this offline and it's a question that's coming up in a few different um, areas in conversations I'm having. But how, as a, like you're a communications specialist, you're very good at this stuff. How do we both do that really big yes celebration at the same time as like, you know, there are some people who are going to be feeling like, oh, I'm a bit worried that the gov- my life isn't going to change how I need it to change um, with a change of government. Like how do, is there a way, do you think that we should just be going straight in and, you know, just fully cheering and trusting that as a strategy to, to bring everyone along or how much should we be, like you say, how much of that angry language should we be use, using to, to push back? Because there are things that obviously still are going to, we haven't, we haven't resolved everything. The world is not suddenly okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's possibility, yeah. but there are still things that are deeply distressing for people. How do we, yeah. how do we go through that? So I think the first point to make is that in general, we tend to under-celebrate uh, on our side of politics. And the classic example is we welcome the announcement but, you know, there's the media release anytime anything supposedly good would happen in the climate space or, you know, in any space, really. The gap between the world that we have and the world that we want is, is big. We want 
big, hard things. And this is one of the reasons why the other side of politics has an easier time wrangling diverse voices and diverse interests, right? Because they basically say like, we're going to make the economy work and we're going to keep our borders strong, big ticks all around, job done. You know, don't expect much else from government besides that. And we sit there and we go, we want justice and we want a livable planet and we want a bigger table and we want all of these other just big, fundamentally hard things, important, hard things. And so when something good happens, when something major happens or something minor happens, like we need to cheer, we need to celebrate. And I don't think from a communication standpoint, you can celebrate and say, but in the same sentence and have people remember the celebration. I think our negativity bias as human beings is such, it's that whole thing of like, if you hear a hundred good things about you in a day and one bad thing, what are you thinking about that night? So I feel like we too often go straight to the butt. We go straight to the like, this isn't good enough because we're always seeing ourselves as the champions of, and the voice of justice in that way of saying, well, yeah, okay, nice start. However, so I think it's important, one, to just acknowledge that we want big, hard things. Two, to acknowledge that we need to celebrate because that is what gives us and others the fuel to keep going. And three, to say that this is the starting point, not the destination. This is the down payment, not the full thing. And that's where we keep pushing. And that's where we keep raising the sights for the ambition. And that's where we say to our friends in power, and we are, how can we support you to make this happen? And we will hold you to the standards of what you've said. We, you know, these can't just be fluffy, meaningless words. We are going to make sure that something real happens here. So that's a journey. That's a process. That's not a single day done, you know, and that's why no one win is ever enough and nothing is ever static and what parties stand for is never written in stone. And that's it. Like these are ongoing, vibrant, dynamic dialogues that happen. And I just think that if we can claim our power, like part of our psychology is we're the underdogs, you know, where we always feel like we're up against Goliath because let's face it, like we're up against institutionalized money and power a lot of the time. Um, and so that underdog spirit looks for, well, what's not good enough and what can I still like, you know, nudge you in the um, ribs about? And, and I get that fighting spirit and I love that fighting spirit, but we don't want to be the party or the voice of the perpetually dissatisfied, everything is terrible, all is awful. You know, look around, like life is amazing in this country on so many levels. There are so many things that we are still working on, but like we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to cheer. We have so much to celebrate. And so my, my orientation as a person and as a professional is to try to shine more of a spotlight on that and understand that it doesn't all have to be said at once and in one day. It's not like this is our only shot at a message and if we don't get it out, it's all over Red Rover. So I think that we can have faith that if we build some relationships and reach out to the people that we're trying to you know, we want to see them succeed, not for their sake, for our sake, you know, for the sake of a great country, right? And so we say, well, how can we help you do that if you're a member of of a big organization, say, that's advocating for, you know, less poverty in Australia, you know, how can we support you to continue to do this? Here's the research we've got. Here's the thing, you know, build those relationships, invest in those relationships and sure, come out swinging when they, when they stuff up. Absolutely. Come out swinging. And it hurts when your friends swing against you. Um, they're going to have to govern for the whole country, you know, and, and the expectations on progressive parties for the reasons that I articulated before are so great that that is a really hard 
circle to square, you know, to, to really govern for everyone, keep the base happy, have a sense of an agenda. Oh, but not one that scares people, you know? And I think that's where Albanese, he's been trying to thread that needle. You know, he's saying, I'm promising renewal, not revolution. He's talking about beyond this term of government. These are the things I think I can do now. These are the things that I would hope to do in the next term and sort of playing that long game. I think that's another thing that the other side of politics does better. Neoliberalism did not happen overnight. It was decades of work and influence to to kind of move those chess pieces and shift the Overton window, which is very nerdy term, I apologize, but it's talking about the window of what's considered possible in politics at any given time. So I think we need to, you know, play the long game as well. Mm. And I guess- Does that help or did I just throw a bunch of words out there? (laughs) No, no, I I think that's helpful. And, you know, you and I have different ways of thinking about this and, you know, comms is your expertise. And I think there's, I think what you're saying is, is absolutely right. And thinking about my own experience, you know, it's a very tiny thing, but doing a PhD, you know, I would celebrate when I got a draft in and I knew that the draft would come back with like 50 million red crosses on it and basically, you know, words on it of like, Millie, you're a loser. You know, no one ever said that, but that's what you hear, right? Um, and so learning to celebrate every step was a survival mechanism. And I guess I'm thinking about in this moment of, you know, celebrating the wins, thinking about those people who who are feeling left out of that celebration. And for me, one of the, it comes back to our public good work, one of the ways for me to align my celebration with the know that there's there's more work to do stuff is bringing in, you know, is having all of those different voices informing the work that we do. And I think for, for me, having done that public good work with such different groups just means that we can loudly cheer on lots of things and have those conversations with other people who may or may not be cheering about how to bring them into that cheer. I don't know if that makes sense, but just just acknowledging there's a lot of complex feelings for people. And so um, the cheering is, is, like you say, is super important because that's what builds the momentum. Yeah. Um, and no one should feel gaslit. Like no one should feel like, yay, the country is saved now. And they're like, actually, I'm still living on no money. And I still have like... I still have, I'm never going to be able to afford a secure home and blah, blah, blah. Like no one should feel like their own individual experience just has to be schmooshed for the sake of the collective win. And I'm not saying that at all. Um, I think that's really important. I guess what I'm saying is big picture for the leaders within this space and for those of us who want to step up and step forward, like we have to avoid getting caught in a cycle of merely reacting and opposing. We have to avoid handing our power away to frame the debate. We have to avoid, oh, well, you know, that was good, but really you should have done all of these things and not taking a moment to really acknowledge like, that was amazing. Thank you so much. Like this... I'm not saying we should, you know, be all over, please, can I have some more and being excited when we get a few more crumbs, but like maintaining our own, like when we give our joy away, the bad guys win. And I think really what you're emphasizing there is like, in some ways for a lot of us, joy and celebration is a change of gear and it requires courage and that we need to do it because it's good for ourselves like we all just need a little bit of and it's strategic like I hate to put strategic and joy in the same word that sounds terrible but you know like <laughs> strategic joy oh god never mention that coming again. soon by Millie Rooney <laughs> <laughs> so like, again this this is this is what is gonna like this is a key fuel for what we 
what yeah. we need to do. Yeah. I've written an article um, this week that, you know, may go out and be published externally, or, you know, we may publish it on our site. I will try to link to it in the show notes for people by the time it's out um, or soon after. But, you know, talking about like, it's our job to invest in the ideas, campaigns, and coalitions that that bring people with us, normalize the bold, and create space for political leaders to step into because product, progress isn't static and one win is never enough. You know, So if we can avoid just getting caught in the merely reacting and opposing, we will have more energy to do that. If we can avoid getting sucked into the it's not good enough and it never will be, we'll have more energy to do that. But we need to embrace our power to drive not only better ideas, but a better kind of politics. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> Great. All right, let's just do that. Yeah. Well, um, oh, just how are you feeling now, Lily? You know about where we go and I'm feeling really hopeful, which is such a cheesy word and um, has felt a bit spun out of thin air for me as well. You know, uh, up and down over the years, but I think I think we are wiser. We are, you know. I, I think that people, I think part of what the pandemic and everything of the last, you know, the fires, the floods, all of these huge kind of disruptions of the last couple of years have shown us is that our tolerance for bullshit as a nation is actually just really low. And so the attempts at bullshit that, sorry for swearing people, if you have, you know, little ears listening to this, but are the people who tried to win on that basis um, you know, Clive Palmer and his billion dollar ad spends, you know, for example, like people saw through that. And that gives me a lot of hope. I think that we are actually looking for real leaders for serious times to step forward and do these things. And does the election in Australia change the war in Ukraine? No, it does not. Does it bring back the 19 little children who just were massacred in their school? No, it does not. But it it gives us a connection between the world as it is, the world that we are building and our role in it. And I think that for me is a source of something I want to cling to. All right, everyone. Well, Millie, thank you so much for another um, beautiful therapeutic conversation. I feel lighter actually after that. I don't know, maybe it's being on a soapbox, but um, but thank you all for, for listening, for commenting, for sharing. It means the world to us that you support this podcast, that you reach out and talk to us about what you're hearing and what you care about. There are links in your show notes if you want to send us an email or leave a voice message for the show. We've got a bank of them coming and we can't wait to start to kind of pour through some of these topics that you guys are putting out to us. Um, they're just fantastic. And thank you, Millie, for being here and for letting me talk to you. It's just wonderful. Such a pleasure as always, Lily. All right. We'll see you next time. been The Remakers, a podcast by Australia Remade. We celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and cultures at the very heart of what it is to be Australian. That is 60,000 plus years as the oldest continuing civilization on earth. I'm recording my part of our chat from Muinina country in Lutruwida, Tasmania. And I record from Dara country, which is just north of Sydney. Our deepest respects to the elders and traditional custodians of these lands and waters. This podcast would not be possible without the talents of the incredible Anna Wilson, our producer. 
You can learn more about Australia Remade, sign up to get emails, and join the community of remakers over on our website. That's australiaremade.org. And if you love the show, please rate and review on iTunes. If you want to send us your ideas or thoughts for future episodes or just share something that's on your mind, you can email us at podcast at australiaremade.org or give us a call. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for all that you do and for being part of this community. We'll see you next time. 